Hey dudes, before we get started, I wanted to tell you that thanks to Jessica, a cool listener who wrote in with this idea, we now have a Patrama Party Facebook group. Jessica was like, hey, I would love a forum where we can talk about what's been working for us and what we need help with. And I was like, holy shit, great idea. So anyway, if you're into that and you're on Facebook, join the group. Just search the Patrama Party under groups. Et voila. All right, here we go. Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we use disco balls for self-reflection. And also to do our lipstick, which is why our lipstick looks insane. So grab your hairbrush. That's actually a flask. I saw that on Instagram the other day and I died. I was like, I need that uh, because I'm secretly 20 years old inside. Anyway, grab your party accoutrement and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez. And this week we're talking about resentments. Just that feeling inside that everyone can get fucked. Or maybe just one person in particular, maybe a trio delectable duo of people who you're pretty sure could eat shit and die on repeat. And that would be just fine. (laughs) Clearly I've never had a resentment in my life. Uh, Anyway, in all seriousness, as someone who has a Scorpio stellium in her chart, including Venus and Scorpio, I have had a uh, very hard time with resentments. I've had a lot of practice feeling the feeling of resenting people because <laughs> I can hold a grudge forever. And of course, there's that moral edict that tells us that resentments are like swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies. Although I think that actually resentments aren't all bad, but it is tricky, right? Knowing how to work with it, especially when someone just really fucked up with us. So to help us get some clarity on this work, I'm so Happy to welcome licensed marriage and family therapist, Netta Ahia to the pod. Hi, Netta. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure to have you. And to kick us off, tell me a little bit about your astrology. Yeah, so I am a Pisces moon, Pisces sun, and Scorpio rising. Oh, wow. So you're all water. All water. Dang, girl. So this is such a powerful combo. I mean, are you into astrology at all? Yeah, a bit. I mean, I I think I mentioned to you before listening to your podcast actually inspired me to look deeper into it and to do my chart and was incredibly validating and like very informative information that, yeah. Yeah, totally. Astrology, that is one thing that I relate to big time when I first started getting into my chart that it was so validating. I was like, oh, wait, can you hear that? No. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm going to keep this in. It's hilarious. So I'm in New York right now and I'm in, um, I'm in New York, but I'm, I'm in Hastings on Hudson, which is like kind of upstate New York. It's like outside of the city by like 40 minutes or something. And it's this little town where apparently when the fire department needs help, instead of like calling another department or whatever, they just sound an alarm that sounds like we're about like a bomb scare. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, hilarious. But what I was going to say was um, yes, it is so validating when you start, when you start looking at your chart and you're, and you start realizing, oh, I'm sort of my DNA, my astrological DNA is sort of set up for this. But what's so powerful about your chart 
Pisces is like, it's one, it's incredibly sensitive, incredibly intuitive, very creative. It's ruled by Neptune, the, the planet of spiritual healing. I don't know if you knew that and you have this double Pisces. So there's yeah. a lot of like healing potential with that sun and moon. And then Scorpio rising folks, I find are people who just can't deal with small talk. I think we had another Scorpio rising therapist on here, not too long ago. And that was one thing they talked about, but I find that that's true with Scorpio in general, but definitely with Scorpio rising, they want to get right to the root of issues. They don't shy away from intensity. And also like you're rising a lot of times will correlate to your career path. These are people who in their careers want to go deep in some way. So it makes a ton of sense that you're a therapist. Yeah. Something that was the most validating is that, you know, Pisces has this connection of sensitivity, right? Being the most sensitive, emotional. And and I think as I was younger, I was a much more emotional person. I think as I've gotten, maybe life just did it to me. But there's <laughs> a part of my personality that is really, I don't want to say aggressive, but like assertive. And mm. I think that to me, it was like, I never really knew the Scorpio was there. I always mm. knew Pisces was the dominant. And so I'd always feel like there's something that I'm not connecting to. Like, I don't feel like I'm this, you know, always crying kind of person. And then when I learned about it, I was like, oh, this makes a ton of sense in terms of like the two parts of me that come together, which is that, yeah, creative, sensitive, intuitive side, but also the assertive, you know, logical, realistic kind of person that I really am. So yeah, it's super informative. Dude. Yeah. Scorpio is so straight up. It's, I, you know, I have a Scorpio stellium, stellium, like I mentioned, and I have Venus in Scorpio. And it's so interesting you say that because Scorpio, when Scorpio is angry, and this is something we'll get into in this, in this um, episode, because we're talking about resentments, but like angry Scorpio and like, yeah, a Scorpio spurned, this is not pretty. This is not a pretty sight, you know? Um, But also Scorpio is tender. And I had a similar experience being a Sagittarius. We're very cheery and upbeat and all those things. But every time I would read about my sun sign and I it would talk about how Sagittarius's show up in love, I was like, mm-hmm. that's not me at all. Like, you know, Sagittarius, they say like, oh, they can take it or leave it. You know, they're noncommittal. And I was very serious and emotional when I got emo- like sort of emotionally connected to someone. And then I found out I had a Venus in Scorpio and I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I am obsessed with your chart. And this is a topic I've been wanting to cover for such a long time. And when you and I kind of chatted the other day, you were, that really resonated for you. So I'm stoked you're here to talk us through it. I'm going to start by diving into my experience with resentments. While I do that, feel free to interject with thoughts, epiphanies, spells, you know, for cursing people who fucked with us. (laughs) (laughs) Should that feel appropriate? Or, you know, you can just sit back, relax, scroll through your feed. Either way, I'll turn some questions over to you at the end. How does that sound? That sounds great. Awesome. Okay. This one was hard for me to kind of sift through because I could name literally a million moments where I felt resentful, huge moments, small moments. You know, if you drive in LA, even once, you know what a resentment feels like, but I do kind of want to walk through how my relationship to resentments has evolved over time and what I've learned along the way. So 
I'll start by talking about how I think I was sort of set up in childhood to be a really good grudge holder in the hopes that maybe other people can relate and see a pattern in their own lives. So my parents both struggle with their own mental health issues. And as a result, they both find it nearly impossible to take full responsibility for their actions. And they also tend to prioritize their own emotional needs over mine. So part of the dynamic for me growing up was learning that I was not allowed to be angry at them ever. When we were upset, we were sent to our rooms. Uh, If I tried to calmly voice to my mom that something she had done had upset me in any way, I was told that I was attacking her and she didn't deserve it. I only tried voicing discontent to my dad once when I was a teenager because he'd sent my sister and me letters in separate envelopes and put $50 in hers and $0 in mine. And he told me that actually I was the asshole because I had slept over at friends' houses sometimes when I'd come to visit him for the summers. And that was hurtful to him. And so I was an asshole. So in other words, my parents both were just really incapable of saying to me, wow, yeah, I completely understand why that made you feel the way that it did. And I'm really sorry. Instead, There was a lot of gaslighting, turning things around on me to kind of like make me the villain and a lot of silencing me. In fact, a couple years ago, I was looking through a photo album and I found a photo of me and some friends in my bedroom when I was like 15. And in the background was this painting I had painted and hung on my wall. And it was of this girl who looked very much like me, incidentally. But there was an arm reaching in from the edge of the paper, like it was someone else's arm. And its hand was covering the girl's mouth, making sure she couldn't talk. And her eyes were super wide, like she was trying to scream. I had completely forgotten about that painting. But when I saw it again a couple of years ago, I was like, holy fuck. I mean, I don't think I had any idea at the time why I painted that. But looking back, I was like, damn. If that wasn't the most accurate representation of what it feels like to live with people on the narcissistic scale. Anyway, what ended up happening as a result of that kind of parenting was that I got really good at never telling anyone when they had fucked up with me, because what was the point, right? That's what I had learned. They're just going to turn it around on you, lie to you, mock you, gaslight you, right? That was my experience. And so that was my belief. And I took that belief into all of my relationships, which is not great for establishing a healthy, loving relationship, romantic or platonic. So one of my first lessons with resentments was that I was building a lot of them because I was getting hurt. I was also like really sensitive, you know, I was not telling the person in question that they'd hurt me. And then I was making assumptions about what the other person's actions meant because I never brought it up to them to find out you know, to find out from them, right? What they were thinking when they did that thing. So here's a great recent example of that. A few episodes back, we talked about betrayal and I told a story about my 10th birthday party. I'll recap it real quick. If anyone happened to not listen to that episode. So it was my 10th birthday party. I invited my two best friends over to spend the night. The three of us were downstairs playing Nintendo I went upstairs to check on my mom because I thought I heard her crying. And when I saw she was okay, I went to the bathroom and then started to walk back downstairs. 
when I heard my sister who had taken my spot on the couch, talking to my best friends and saying, she was older by the way, and saying, why are you even friends with Remy? Don't you think she's so annoying? What do you even like about her? And my friends were just kind of agreeing with her and saying, yeah, I was really annoying. And they didn't know why they were friends with me. And uh, it, it was really awful. So obviously this ruined my birthday party and it ruined my friendships with those girls. And in fact, I ended up moving in with my dad, who I was terrified of and who lived in another state and who I'd never lived with before because I was so fucked up over it. Anyway, my sister and I never talked about it. Years later, we became super close as teenagers and adults, and we've had a good relationship for years. But when I was writing about that experience to prep for the episode on betrayal, I realized there was still something in me that was not okay about that happening, even though it had been 30 years. Because the belief that I'd created at the time was that my sister got off on hurting me. She liked watching me be in pain. And I had projected that belief into other areas of our relationship, even as adults. I'd also incidentally carried that belief into other relationships as well and projected that onto other people. So this was like a month ago. I called her and I was like, hey, I know this happened a thousand years ago and we were kids, but we need to talk about this. And it was funny. She knew before I even told her what we needed to talk about, what we needed to talk about. Like she knew that it was like this um, sort of elephant in, in the room that we had never approached. And it was just a super healing conversation. She took full responsibility. She apologized. We both cried. And she told me something that I'd never known. So two years before my 10th birthday, when I was eight, we'd moved to LA. My sister and I moved with my mom, leaving Austin in our rear view. Austin was where we had both grown up. And my sister took the move really hard. She was 10 at the time. She was having a really hard time making friends in LA. She was struggling in school, which like she had never struggled in school. She was super smart. And I mean, not that you can't be super smart and struggle in school. I'm just saying that was, I think that was kind of like part of her identity was like, I'm really smart. I do really well in school. And then we got to LA and a lot of that kind of started to fall apart. And she was struggling emotionally deeply, like in every area of her life. I was also struggling emotionally, but my whole life, my coping mechanism was to pretend like I was fine and to overachieve. I did that my whole life. Because otherwise, uh, I mean, it was just how I got love, right? Like my, that's how I got my family to love me. So even though I was pretty heartbroken and miss Austin and all of my friends a lot, I was pushing through and doing all the things that looked good on paper. I was faking it. What I didn't know about that was that when my sister was going to my mom and saying she was having a really hard time, my mom was saying to her, why can't you be more like Remy? Look at your sister. She's got friends. She's getting good grades. There's no reason you can't do that. You just need to pull it together. So my sister had built this massive resentment toward me because she was essentially being shamed for struggling. And she was being compared to me and told that she wasn't good enough. And because by the time of my 10th birthday, she was you know, almost 12, getting my friends to say I was lame 
at my birthday party was how she handled it. Right. She was a child. But for 30 years, I'd had this resentment about what happened that night and also this belief about what it meant that I couldn't fully trust my sister because there was this part of her that liked hurting me. Turns out she was just a 12 year old in a shit situation. And ever since it had happened, she'd felt awful about it and she'd never known how to bring it up to me. So that's one of the first lessons I can offer around resentments is asking like, what are your habits? What are your learned behaviors? What are your beliefs when you have a resentment come up, right? Do you pretend things are fine, but you secretly smolder? Do you make an assumption about what it means? Or do you check in with the other person to let them know how it made you feel and have a conversation about it? The other lesson from that experience was when we're resentful of someone else and we're not handling it, it's going to come out in not cool ways, right? Like my sister was holding a resentment against me and it showed up in this really mean, damaging way that she ultimately didn't even want to happen. It was just a reaction to the anger. So that's another piece I learned is that our resentments are going to come out sideways unless we address them directly with the people involved. Now, I do want to say this conversation I had with her is actually a best case scenario, I think, in terms of like talking through a resentment. And the reason for that is that my sister now as an adult has done enough work that she can say, yep, I fucked that up. I did that. I'm so sorry it hurt you. That was the last thing I wanted to do. Here's what was happening with me that brought me to that moment. It doesn't make it okay, but it's where I was at. How can I make it right? And that kind of response is not one that everyone's able to give, right? A lot of people are going to get defensive. They're going to try to make you the problem somehow, try to tell you why you're wrong. So I want to flag that because half of the work is bringing those resentments to others so that there can be a conversation. But the other half is seeing whether those people can be accountable and show up for us in those moments. And if they can't, it's up to us to make that next decision about choosing to be in relationship with them or not. And I'll, I'll just say that in my experience, people who can't hold themselves accountable, that is a deal breaker for me. And part of it's because you're just asking for more resentments with those people, right? Now, there's another piece for me around resentments that I want to share, which is, you know, we're told that the spiritual high ground means never being resentful. But I just don't fucking buy that at all. I think it's inhuman for one thing. And also, just like all of our feelings, our resentments, in my opinion, are there to tell us when something's not working. They are important messengers to flag us down and be like, hey, pay attention to this. So here's a good example of that. This is kind of a long story. <laughs> Years ago, I had a close friend from high school. We'll call her Jane. Jane had a really mean dad and her mom never stood up for her to her dad. And then on top of it, the guys in our friend group would be really mean to her, like to her face, to whoever was around, you know, they would talk shit to her when we were all together. But then behind closed doors, each of them would use her for sex. So it was really fucked, which you know, she allowed that to happen because she felt shitty about herself 
and she wanted, you know, love and attention and whatever. So anyway, I ended up standing up for her a lot to these guys and felt, I really felt this like warmth for her where I, I, I wanted her to know that our friendship was a haven for her. Like she was safe with me. I have no idea if that was successful or if she actually felt that way about our friendship. And I, I never told her that I wanted her to feel that way, but that was how I felt. That was my intention. But there were all these flags along the way. And the first one happened while we were in high school. So my boyfriend, who was part of our friend group, let's call him George. George and I had broken up and I was talking to Jane about it all the time, telling her how much I missed him and that I thought we might get back together. And I had all this anxiety about it. You know, all the things 16 year old girls talk about George and I did get back together. And a couple months after we did, I found out that Jane had given him a blow job while we were broken up while I was talking to her about him nonstop and telling her how heartbroken I was about the whole situation. And of course she had neglected to mention that to me. So it's an obvious betrayal, right? I didn't speak to her for like a year after that because resentment and she never apologized to me, which was the huge second red flag. Eventually we started speaking again and sort of made up by default, right? Like there was never a conversation. In fact, I'd heard through the grapevine through another friend that she had said that it was about time that I got over it. Like I was overreacting, which by the way, you guys, I mean, I was like 18 or something at that point. And so I was a young dummy, but someone who betrays you and hurts you and then says, you just need to get over it. Like, just do yourself a favor and let that person go. But I did not do that. (laughs) I did not let her go. I marched on and Jane and I were friends in college and past college. And there were some other red flags during, during those years too, but I won't go into all of them. I'll get to the main, the main course here. So fast forward to her engagement. We're in our early thirties now. She gets engaged to her boyfriend and essentially asked me to take on all of the maid of honor duties because her sister, who was the actual maid of honor, lived out of the country. So I plan her bachelorette. I organize her bridesmaid gift um, where, you know, like all the bridesmaids like get together and give her something big. And of course, like as you do, I paid $250 for the dress I was never going to wear again, even though at the time I was so fucking broke, but I'm happy to do all these things, right? I'm happy to jump in. I want to do these things for her. I don't resent doing them at all until George. So George and I had been on and off for years since high school. Eventually I learned that while we were on Not only had he cheated on me, including sleeping with multiple women for years while we had a very clear agreement that neither of us could sleep with anyone else without disclosing that to the other person, but also he was sleeping with our roommate while he was, yes, also sleeping with me. And he had convinced me to let him take over my finances while I was in a deep depression. And then he maxed out my credit card and didn't pay the bill. And of course, didn't tell me. Anyway, it was a massive clusterfuck. Side note, one of the women that he was sleeping with was a friend of Jane's and Jane knew about it and didn't tell me for a very long time. Anyway, back to Jane. She's over here having me do all the things for her that her sister can't do you know, all of the wedding stuff, the bachelorette planning that, all that. 
And she is insistent that George, who she talks shit about all the time, come to her wedding, right? Like she is like, no, he has to come. And she's insistent that he be able to bring his new girlfriend. However, she is also insistent that I not get a plus one because the guy I was seeing at the time, we were an official, we were sort of casually dating. And so that didn't warrant a plus one for her. So this really didn't sit well with me. I was like, you and George aren't even close friends. You know, all of the things that have happened between the two of us and how it's devastated me. You're wanting me to be your stand-in maid of honor and be this really dedicated friend to you, but you're not doing what a real friend would do in my opinion, which is be like, George, I don't hate you, but you're sure as fuck not coming to my wedding because Remy's going to be there and she's one of my best friends and I don't want her feeling upset at my wedding or George, you are invited to my wedding, but sorry, dude, I can't give you a plus one because I can't afford it. Even though I can, I just have Remy's back and I sure shit. I'm not going to let you flaunt your girlfriend at her all night. The resentment was that I didn't feel like she was being as good of a friend to me as I was to her after all of these years of um, standing up for her. And you know what? I was right about that. She was not as good of a friend to me as I was to her. So that resentment was there to yell at me and get me to see, hey, the way you're being treated isn't okay. So here's what happened. I kept checking in with her about it, about whether or not he was bringing his plus one. She kept kind of telling me that she was being weird and elusive about it. I finally pushed about me not getting a plus one. And after doing that many times, she gave in and said, I could bring the guy I was dating. But three days before her wedding, she snapped at me about it. And she told me she didn't want to pay for an extra plate for someone that I wasn't that into, which like he and I were sort of at the beginning phases of dating. Anyway, this was interesting because she felt very sure that she had no problem paying for George's girlfriend's plate. That cost was never one she was concerned about. Now, I'm sure people could have all kinds of opinions on this and judgments about who was right and who was wrong or whatever. But for me, this experience was really about the resentments I built, why I built them, and what it means for me in retrospect. So I want to break that down a little. My perspective was that I'd been protecting her emotional well-being for many years. I'd been defending her to these assholes we were friends with in high school. George was one of them, by the way who were just using her for sex and then being cruel to her and calling her a slut or whatever when we were all out in a group. I was telling her that any time her dad was mean to her, she should come straight to my house. She was always welcome. In college, I actually got in trouble with a friend because a group of us had plans. And I insisted that Jane be able to come with us because she'd had a fight with her dad that night, even though she wasn't really part of our friend group. And then my friend got mad at me about it. So basically, I felt like I had been emotionally caretaking for years and really trying to protect her. And then again, I was being expected to show up as a best friend during the lead up to her wedding. But when it was her turn to take care of me and protect me, either by not inviting George because he had emotionally devastated me or by being like, girl, of course, I'm not giving him a plus one or by being like, I have to give him a plus one because it just is going to create weirdness if I don't. But of course, that means I'm giving you a plus one too. you know, just having my back 
and reciprocating the kind of care and thoughtfulness I'd shown her throughout our friendship. In the end, I didn't speak to her hardly at all at her wedding because I was so pissed. Uh, And when she got back from her honeymoon, I did bring my plus one, by the way, Um, but only because I had to fight tooth and nail for it. Anyway, when she got back from her honeymoon, I wrote her an email and essentially told her to get fucked. I was like, we're done, right? So here's the thing. In retrospect, I think what I should have done was have a conversation with her before the wedding and say exactly that. Like, hey, I feel like I've done a lot to show up for you and make you feel safe in our friendship. And now I feel like you're not doing that for me. You're not trying to protect me. The truth is, I actually don't think it would have saved the friendship. I think my instincts to end our relationship was on point because she wasn't the kind of person, at least then, who could take responsibility for herself. But I should have at least given her the opportunity. What I will say is that I have never regretted my decision to leave that friendship. Moving on from that friendship and from many of the friendships I've had has been a solid decision on my part. Whether or not I handled the whole thing correctly, maybe not, right? But reaching my limit and being like, enough is enough, I'm done, was solid. No question about it. Because I was never going to get back what I had put into the relationship. And I see that now, but I had been ignoring red flags for a really long time, which is another way that you can build resentments, right? I, but I was never going to get real reciprocation from her. And that resentful feeling was the first thing to well up in me and tell me, Hey, something here is not okay. And it needs to be addressed. And that brings me to something else I've learned on this journey of resentments. When someone re-injures you in a, in your relationship over and over again, and you try to dance around it or ignore it or politely ask to be treated the way you deserve to be treated or what I did in high school after she fucking sucked my ex-boyfriend off while I was crying to her about him, you know, which was this, this like very young response that I had, which is like, try to punish them with the silent treatment, you know, where I just didn't speak to her for a year to show them that it's not okay. Right. And then jump back into the relationship, hoping they got the message and they'll never do it again. And then it's just more of the same later down the road, you're going to feel resentments, right? They're going to build up. And those resentments are not signs that you're not evolved enough, not spiritual enough, not working on yourself enough. I think a lot of us who have been in maybe spiritual communities, we have that thought, right? It's like good vibes only that like toxic positivity shit. No, those resentments are indications that you're being violated. And if it's happening over and over again, and it's building, it's likely that you are ignoring some aspect of this. Either you're not talking to the person about the resentment, so nothing can change, or you keep talking to them about about the issues and nothing changes. Right. And it's time to get in your own corner. Like maybe those violations are intentional on the other person's part. And maybe they're not, maybe someone is trying to hurt you, or maybe they have no idea that they're hurting you and will totally change their behavior. Once you bring it to their attention or, and this is one I think we all need to really pay attention to. Maybe they're well-intentioned people who do not have the emotional maturity or emotional capacity or emotional intelligence to make the changes necessary to not injure you in the relationship. But whatever the case, the resentments that you feel are healthy and necessary indicators that something's off. 
You're not getting your needs met. And at that point, it's time for you to take the reins and decide what the next step needs to be. Do you need to have a vulnerable conversation about how their behavior is impacting you? Do you want to keep the relationship, but set some boundaries either with them or with yourself to keep yourself safe within the relationship? Is it time to cut the cord with this person? Only you will know the answer to those questions. But the bottom line is that immediately acknowledging that your resentments are your intuitive helpers and your valuable guides rather than something that make you problematic in some way will help you get to the answer much faster. Otherwise you're bringing pain on yourself. And that's the thing we really want to avoid the painful repercussions of ignoring our resentments. So in other words, when you feel a resentment come up, respect the resentment and respond to it as quickly as feels right for you. Because if you need to hear the other person's point of view, so you can get back to feeling safe in the relationship that needs to happen ASAP before you cut ties, because you've made an assumption about this person's feelings or intentions that are just like totally off base. Or if you need to cut ties with this person sooner than later, because y'all just aren't on the same page and you deserve relationships where you feel loved and supported and it feels reciprocal, you also should know that as soon as possible so that you can let go and move on and not get re-injured by someone who can't meet you. Either way, the longer you sit on the resentment without bringing it up, the longer you hurt yourself. And we're all here to get on our own team and be our own best friends and greatest advocates. By the way, all of this is true unless you're dealing with someone who ranks up there on the narcissistic scale, right? So narcissists have expectations that people show up for them even after they treat people like shit. So I don't have any advice for you if you treat people like shit and then feel resentful that they cut ties with you. You know, <laughs> like if you're on the narcissistic scale like that, like get a therapist. I guess that's my advice. There's one last thing I want to share here. A lot of times we become resentful because we're hurt. Someone has shown up in a way that communicates to us that they don't care about us. Our feelings don't matter to them. They don't want us, right? Et cetera, et cetera. It's often associated with betrayals, but of course it can look a lot of different ways. We might become resentful of a roommate who doesn't take out the trash, you know? The takeaway for me after many years of being consumed with resentments is that often our resentment stories revolve around how that person wronged us in some way. And it's not that that's not true. That can absolutely be the case. It's just that ultimately what they did isn't a reflection of us at all. It's 100% a reflection of them. When Jane was coming over to my house in high school and listening to me have all this anxiety and heartache about my breakup with George and about whether we were going to get back together and then turning around the literal next day and giving him a blowjob behind my back. It's not that she didn't violate me in our friendship. She did but only because of what an insecure, unhappy person she was and how frantic she was to feel loved and seen and wanted, which is not a jab on her. You know, that's not me insulting anyone. It's just the truth. And knowing that is part of how I'm able to let go of resentments. When I can really see that someone violating me in that way is a reflection of their inner landscape and not a reflection of my worth or my importance, or any of the stuff that we tell ourselves, like, oh, if they really loved me, they would have tried harder, blah, blah, blah. When I can just really not take it personally, that's when I can let it go. 
And I, I want to say that shit is not easy, right? It's so much easier to take things personally, but I'm telling you, it is absolutely not the case. I think a lot of times in my life, I've thought, you know, if they, if they loved me, they would have done the hard thing, right? They would have talked to me. They would have tried harder. They would have been empathetic, whatever it is. But ultimately how someone treats me is a reflection of what they have going inside of them. It's not my job to take that on. It is my job to not ignore how they show up, to talk about it with them if it's not working for me, and then to be very clear on whether things change after that or not. And if they don't, it is my job to make the changes I need at that point to make sure I'm in relationships that feel good for me. And I'll just end with this, even though I mentioned it before, I think it's worth repeating here in this conversation around resentments, people who repeatedly betray you because they're deeply wounded or they have good intentions, but consistently don't reciprocate what you give, no matter how many times you talk about it with them, it is okay to let them go. Even if they were abused as kids, even if they were really kind to you in these other ways, even if they're having a hard time, your needs matter. And if they're not being met and you're becoming increasingly resentful, you have the right to let someone go if that's what you need, right? And I just want to like give permission for that because I think a lot of times we come up with all these reasons why we need to stay in a situation where our resentments are building and building. And I, I just want to say, it's okay. It's okay to say, I'm being re-injured. I love myself. I prioritize myself. And for whatever reason, you can't meet me. So I'm going to walk away from this. So pay attention to those resentments and responsibly and respectfully work with them rather than against them. Okay, Netta, how are you doing over there? <laughs> Doing good. Yeah. I mean, you made, you brought up a lot of good points about sort of the healing process too, not just about like what stories you had that involved, you know, a lot of betrayal and hurt and how you responded, but just the bigger messages around what we do with resentment and how it can be a healing part of us if we use it appropriately. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I you know, I'm in New York and I'm staying with a friend and she was like, so what is your episode about today? And I was like, resentments. And she was like, oh yeah, like I get really resentful. And I was like, oh yeah. And it, you know, I was kind of talking to her about that and talking about my experience with resentments and how I try to, because of all this talk around like, oh, if you're a, an actual spiritual person, if, if you're a good person, you won't have resentments. And she was like, Oh, and it's so funny. Cause she's such a New Yorker and I'm so from California. Right. And she was like, Oh, when I have resentments, I go all in. Like, I feel so self-righteous and fuck them. And nah, nah, nah. and so I was like, I love that because it's just like a different, um, not that I love that, but I love that there's, there are these different come froms with okay. resentments. Right. And so I'm so excited to get into this with you. Let me start with this question. I often draw on resentments to help me have boundaries because like sometimes not always, but sometimes I really want to re-engage with the relationship, even though I know I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'll hang on to my resentments to kind of protect me, right? And keep me from getting reinvolved with the person. I feel like this is something that um, I especially did in my 20s with guys with like fuck boys that I would date. Mm-hmm. I would... I would stay really angry and resentful towards them because underneath I was so afraid that if I didn't, I would just hook up with them again. I would just get back with them. Right. Can you talk about from your perspective as a therapist, resentments can be valuable to us at all, like in that case or in any other case? Yeah. I mean, of course they can. I think short answer is yes, of course they can. I think it's really important to look at what, you know, what is resentment, right? Where of course it's usually this prolonged anger from betrayal, mistreatment. And, but, you know, just like looking at anger as just, you know, is anger healthy is to say, yeah, in some ways anger is healthy because anger is a reaction to hurt, right? But it's a secondary emotion. This is our reaction. This isn't really the truth of what's happening. It kind of can give us like your friend saying that feeling righteous in your anger is to feel like, you know, this person hurt me, I lost control. And therefore, now I kind of get to hold on to control and feel empowered in my anger. Ah, and, control. and it because it also is, you know, it externalizes the feeling like if we just sit in our hurt, that's very painful, you know, to sit in heartbreak, and only heartbreak is so internal. It's so painful. It's so isolating that we can, we often jump to anger as a response to externalize the feeling to give us a bit of respite from the sadness, from the pain. And I think of it also as thinking about the connection to grief, right? Resentment is often really connected to grief being that you're grieving the loss of what you thought a relationship was. You're grieving the loss of trust. You're grieving the loss of feeling like you were valued by this person. You're grieving so many things because of those moments, like you're saying, it's an alarm system that's saying something went wrong. Something crossed my boundaries. Something hurt me. And that's why one, it's helpful, right? As the alarm system, it's really helpful to say, oops, something's not right here. But ultimately, it's also a way to give us a bit of a break. And just like the grief process, right, we talk about grief stages, you know, it's sort of denial, anger, you know, um, acceptance, you know, all those five stages. And they kind of there's why why anger is part of that process is because part of our healing does require a moment in time to feel it externally, to feel control, to feel like we can see it from a place of self-preservation, self-protection. And I think the biggest thing I I like to say is like, if we can use resentment and anger as like a stop sign on our journey, rather than letting it drive the car, Mm. this is the way to say, okay, or it's like a pit stop, right? Like this is a pit stop, but like, we don't want to let it drive the car. That's when it can kind of go awry and take over but if we can let it have its moment and then recognize why is it having its moment? What's going on underneath it? Uh, oh, that's so good. I fucking love what you said about the connection to grief. That's so true. I think there are so many ways of responding to grief. And I think one of them is denial, right? And I think that's been my go-to so many times which is why I wanted to say it's it's totally okay to walk away from relationships is because when we, for me, when someone shows up like, hey, you don't matter and that keeps happening, I so desperately, I don't want to let go because 
I thought, okay, well, here's what I'll say. I grew up with parents who emotionally violated me in many ways. But for my survival, I had to learn how to keep those relationships working, right? I could not at four years old, five years old, eight years old, uh, be like this, you know what, this relationship, mom, it's not working. I'm leaving, you know? (laughs) So I, I became so, um, well-practiced in holding on to relationships that didn't work uh, in prioritizing the relationship over myself, right? The relationship was the important thing. And, you know, I, I, grew up, I went out into the world and I did the exact same thing. Let me figure out how to keep the relationship at all costs. And part of the way that you do that is denial. And part of the way that denial works is you pretend that the resentments aren't there or you say, oh, I'm having a resentment. I'm the problem, right? And so I love that you bring grief into it because when you're in that denial work, right? Like when you are practicing denial in relationships, you don't allow yourself to feel that pain because then you have to look at what's happening, right? Then you have to look at what the fuck this relationship is. And, uh, sometimes I think what happens is we feel the resentments before we feel the grief, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's that protection piece. And we go straight from, well, I should speak for myself, but I think hopefully people can, someone can relate to this. I would go like, I'm resentful. I'm the problem. And so I would never get to the grief part or the other part, you know, is I'm resentful. You're the problem. And then, you know, that's like what my friend was talking about today. Like, I feel so self-righteous in my, in my anger, in my resentments, either way, you're not getting to the grief part. And so I love what you're saying is that yes, it's an indication that we're being violated and it's an indication that like, if you're being violated, that hurts and you need to give yourself a fucking minute. Yes. That you're, and that you're again, losing an idea, right? You might not lose the relationship, but you're even losing the idea that this was my best friend and we had so much, you know, trust and honesty with each other and they lied to me or, you know, even in, you know, I think even simple resentments, like you were saying the, you know, you're, your husband isn't doing the dishes and that, you know, someone's getting resentful that they're not meeting the needs. Is it really about the dishes or is it really about this expectation of equality in the marriage or feeling unseen, feeling underappreciated, feeling like you're not getting, you know, some need met. And that again, it's this grieving of like, well, I thought I was going to have this relationship that it was going to be harmonious and that we were going to do everything together. And now I'm seeing that there is something missing here. They're not respecting me. They're not valuing me. They're not seeing that like I'm doing more than them. And so even those small resentments can also be part of this, again, like losing ideas of relationships and what we've created um, in our minds. Um, I also want to also add to what you were saying about your relationship with your parents growing up. It's also a pattern of like, you know, you're constantly trying to that denial phase. You're trying to win them over. You're trying to win. You're saying like, okay, they harmed me. They didn't do this, but like, I can win next time. Like I can get their love next time. Like this, rather than going through the hurt and recognizing the need for boundaries or anything, it's always this striving for 
their love and attention. Because if they give it to you, if you finally win, then all that stuff can kind of disappear. Then all that hurt and pain, I can say it didn't ever really exist because I won. I got the love and attention that I wanted. And that's kind of playing into that piece too, when you have a relationship with your family like that and how that plays into your romantic relationships or friendships. Right. Cause you think like, if I just, if I can just fix this, then everything that just happened, it's, it's like, it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's really powerful. Um, so this question we've sort of touched on it already, but I do want to like, kind of give it its moment in the spotlight. So we've talked about how resentments are a flag that you're being violated in some way, whether it's your boundaries, you're not being respected, whatever it is, right. Um, you're not being considered and there's real pain in that. That's kind of this grief that we're talking about. Like when we feel those resentments come up, how do we meet them with vulnerability instead of either judging ourselves or going into that self-righteousness? Like how you mentioned they're like a pit stop. How do we be, be like, okay, let me take my foot off the brake, put it on the gas and like move out of this pit stop and go to the place where I'm working with this, with the pain behind this resentment. Right. Right. Well, first of all, understanding vulnerability, right? Like the, the exact definition of vulnerability is to like put yourself in a position of harm, either physically, physical harm or emotional harm. So automatically to be vulnerable is to put yourself on the line, which is why we avoid it. Which is why we choose you know, judgment or or whatever other option there is, is a much less scary path to take mm-hmm. because you know that with vulnerability, you're opening yourself wide up to getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, this issue of resentment, which is, you know, one part of it is seeing what's really going on, right? Like what is the actual hurt underneath this facing the reality that maybe the relationship is not what you thought it was facing the reality that you have to express yourself to this person. And that's very scary because sometimes we fear abandonment or rejection to come from our truth, right? Maybe if I ask for what I need, they're going to say no, and they're going to leave me. Mm. And that's so much scarier than sort of self-blaming or just staying in my resentment by myself, isolated, than opening up this door to the possibility of getting really harmed. Mm. But I think, you know, there's, Brene Brown has a good quote, vulnerability is not about winning or losing. It's about having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome, right? But I think the reminder is always, you know, there's so much risk involved, obviously, in vulnerability, but the payoff is huge, right? Mm -hmm. When we have a relationship with someone, if we are holding onto the resentment, we are creating more distance we are creating less connection. And so if you go towards it and you have those honest conversations, yeah, there's a possibility that they fail, but there's also a beautiful possibility that they really understand you and they do take responsibility. And like your story about you and your sister, like, and there is more closeness, right? And so in order to experience the depth of joy and trust and connection in relationships, vulnerability is a necessary path to getting there but it is a scary path to take. Um, But it's also, I mean, it's honestly the only way to heal resentment is to be vulnerable, is to put yourself in those positions. Otherwise you will get stuck at that pit stop. Mm. Well, and that brings me to my next question. At some point, resentments do become toxic, right? Like, yes, we want to respect them, 
but you don't want to just like sit in a resentment soup, right? It's like not good. So how do we know when that point is and how do we know when it's time to work on letting them go? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question because, you know, obviously there's no timeline. It would be so much easier if we could just say like, this is exactly how much Four time days. you're allowed to have resentment for, right? <laughs> every situation is different. Every resentment is different. Every person is different. You know, we obviously already understand that like science says anger, holding onto anger is bad. It is, you know, creates more depression, anxiety, eating disorders, sleep disorders, you know, it puts your heart at risk, more strokes, like acid reflux and reflux and ulcers. Like it's not a healthy thing to hold on to. I, re- I just want to say that I think acid reflux <laughs> is, is pretty perfect. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Um, so yeah, it's very clear. Like science says not a good thing where right? you don't want to hold on to it. You know, there's a, a good, I found a good quote, like a Buddhist quote saying, holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone, but you end up burning yourself. Right. So right. like, how long are we holding on to this piece of coal? Are we using it to process our emotions to understand ourselves are we using it to heal or are we just harming ourselves further and i think that that's a big part of the question as you're going through it to say you know how do i know on my own timeline am i stuck or is this sort of an appropriate amount of time for me to experience this pain still like you know if i had some huge betrayal happen okay, yeah, um, a couple of months, I imagine you could hold on to some serious resentment. But eventually when you're like, oh, I'm not doing well at work anymore and I'm, you know, losing other relationships in my life. And, you know, when you start to see that it's really having impact and that you're really getting, feeling that stuckness, then it's, it's an indication to say, okay, we've gone too far. We've held on too long. We need to open this up. We need to go towards it with this vulnerability piece. We need to actually ask ourselves, what's really going on underneath. And I think you said earlier, like, obviously sooner the better, but I think the biggest thing is understanding our own timelines is a really big part of it. Because when we feel like shame around taking too long, it doesn't help us to move forward. It just, we have to give ourselves permission because that permission actually lets us to like move through it quicker. Mm, Totally. And then when we are finally at that point, when we know it's time to let go of resentments, but we don't know how, what is the move then? Like, what does it look like to actually work through and like heal and let go of a resentment? Yeah. I mean, so there's, I think like, I do have some specific steps that I will go through, but I think there's like a really important piece, which is the difference between having a person who is willing to take responsibility and having a person who is not, right? Someone who is either incapable, limited, even maybe they have passed on. Maybe they're not even living anymore and you're still holding on to this, right? There is a very different pathway in how to heal resentment depending on how the uh, the party that harmed you is participating or not in this process. Totally. Um, because yeah, if they're not taking responsibility, like that's going to make it linger, right? That's, it's much harder to let go and, and forgive, so to speak. And I'll talk more about forgiveness in a second, but if they're not asking for it, right, if they're not asking for forgiveness, if they're not doing the work, you know, it's, it's very hard to, to not feel stuck in that. But, you know, obviously it starts with understanding your resentment. Why are you feeling resentful? 
what is the hurt, right? Is it, you know, obviously again, the anger is a reaction, the resentment is a reaction, but then like you were telling really great stories before of like, what is the story I'm telling myself about what's going on, right? What are the assumptions that I'm making? What is the real hurt happening? Like, what is the loss that I'm experiencing? What is the grief process? You know, what did I lose in this betrayal is the sort of step one, right? Okay. Step two would be is identifying what you need, right? What do I need to heal this wound? And that starts with that question of, is this person willing or not, right? What do I need from that person to heal this resentment with them? This is if they are participating, right? Like sometimes let's say your partner cheats on you and they are apologizing and they are taking responsibility. It was a mistake. Does that mean just because they apologize that you're just going to be like over it in a day? Right. No, that's going to, you know, it's going to be more than, oh, I need them to take responsibility. It's like, I need them to prove that I can trust them for a very long time. I need them to show up for me in a certain way. I need them to give me time and patience to move past this betrayal. So it's really important to identify what is that going to look like for you? What is that going to be? in terms of a, a yeah maybe a timeline or something if we're expecting the other person to participate now if they're not you know if we know that there are narcissists that can't do that then what do we think we need right do we what kind of boundaries do we need what kind of do we need to cut this relationship off is this relationship done with you know do we need to just process and take time and feel like we can actually let go and, and keep this relationship in our lives? But we can't decide, I'm going to keep the relationship and the resentment. Mm. This doesn't really go together. Right. If we want to keep the relationship, we have to understand what do we need in this part? What is going to take us to heal? Whether that be their actions or our own actions. But to choose to keep people around and to hold on to that resentment forever that is not going to create a very positive relationship. Again, it's only going to create more distance, more defensiveness, more conflict. It doesn't make for a healthy relationship. Right. And then time, right? Time. I think that's such a huge thing. Timelines, giving yourself time for healing in anything, whether that be healing from, you know, like grief is a huge piece. I think when we, we talk about people, I say like, you know, time heals all wounds. Grief is a really good example of something that there's nothing anyone can say. There's no specific thing that happens. Really, it is just time as saying, okay, I had this loss. And that time might never fully go away, right? It gets easier with time. It's like after a year, you know, on the anniversary, it feels painful. But five years down the road, like I'm still going to feel some pain, but that pain is going to be less and less and less. And that's so that I think that's such a big part of this too, is are we giving ourselves time to heal fully while doing all these other steps, not time to just be free in our resentment, but time to do the work and to understand that we can have moments of saying, okay, I'm doing the work. I'm trying to let go. Oops. I don't think I am ready to let go. Actually. I think I still need time to process. I think I still need time to work through this. Like, but being really in it and aware of it rather than just giving it a free for all, right? Like, again, we don't want it to drive the car. It mm. can be multiple pit stops. We can return to the pit stop. Like that is fine. And that works on our own timeline, but it just can't drive the car. 
Um, and then I think the biggest thing is, you know, understanding other techniques, which is like, okay, therapy is a really good example of a place where you can process, you know, your, your resentments, where you can actually pull apart what happened, pull apart the betrayal, understand what's underneath. Journaling, I think, is a really good one, which is, again, it's like, how do we kind of release these thoughts from our bodies? I think when we hold everything inside, it kind of creates more toxicity. We want to release. We want to find ways to remove. So that's either talking to people, writing. I really like to suggest to people rage writing, just to just like write it in a really angry way. Yeah. Um, and even writing letters to those people. Like, I don't usually recommend that you give the letter. You could give a letter to that person. But honestly, starting with writing letters to those people with all the visceral resentment and anger that you have to honor those feelings, to say, I'm going to give myself a moment to write like F you, like I'm going to give myself a moment to tell you how much you hurt me in the most visceral way possible, because then I feel like it's free. I've let it out. If I tell that person that way, that's not going to lead to healing. Like I'm not going to go and cuss someone out. It's not going to bring us closer together, but I might need to honor that space to let myself cuss them out individually right like on a personal mm-hmm. journey um and so those are like really i think big important techniques in terms of like how to do these other processes which is like time and processing understanding awareness but then the final step which is letting go or forgiveness right i think like you said in spiritual world in religion forgiveness i mean i think is a topic of its own in mm-hmm. terms of like how rooted it is in every single religion that like forgiveness is sort of the one of the core virtues of being a holy person but that kind of shames you into feeling like if you don't forgive something's wrong with you right and i actually found a really great book um what is it called it's called why won't you apologize um (laughs) by harriet lerner and it's it, the the underneath the title is healing big betrayals and everyday hurt. And there is a chapter that's saying that, you know, the need to forgive and the lies people tell you about that, because there was it was so validating when I read this, because I thought, yeah, like, I don't actually think forgiveness is a necessity in letting go. Mm. I think it's a part of it. I think it can definitely help you to let go in many ways, but like forgiveness means really different things to different people. You know, it's like, I don't want to accept what they've done to me. Like, that's not part of my forgiveness plan. You know, again, did they ask for forgiveness? Did they take the steps to deserve my forgiveness? Like if they've done nothing, if they're not going to take accountability, like why, you know, and this, again, the religious spiritual world is going to say, just forgive them anyway. But I think there is a way to let go without necessarily feeling deep forgiveness within yourself. And some of the steps are the same, which is empathy and compassion for their story. I think like your sister's side of the story, right? Like that is definitely a part of of how we let go, which is, can we look at it from the other angle and say, what was going on for them, right? Did they have a horrible childhood? Did they, were they abused? Did they just come out of another relationship that traumatized them? It's not to say to have that empathy and compassion is to excuse what they've done, but it does give us a bit of breathing room in terms of feeling like, okay, this is about them. This isn't about me. Right. It's that not taking it personally piece. 
Yes. This yeah. and it's like even though it's a personal injury, because I don't want to say that you're just like, oh, I don't my ego is totally free. Like, great if you can right. do that. But like unlikely, I think, but it is to say it does alleviate some of that pressure to say, like, yeah, they did harm me and I was harmed and I don't accept the behavior. But I have a lot of compassion for their story as to, you know, why they are so incapable of yeah. of taking accountability. Um, and I do think that's a very big part of letting go. Right. Ugh. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I love that. I love this. I love the name of this book is like, uh, I need to read it. I feel like there are so many people in my life and just like starting from day one of the Remy journey. It's like, Mm-hmm. Why can't you fucking apologize to me? <laughs> right, right. And also, when is their apology actually meaningful, right? Like right. some people will say like, fine, I'm sorry. Okay, that doesn't actually work. You know what? Yeah. I think sometimes people don't even know what it is to apologize and what that really means. People right. will throw around, I'm sorry. And it doesn't actually resonate because are they doing the same behavior again? You know, are they actually meaning it? Or are they doing it just to shut us up? Like what, what is the weight behind their apology? And, and yeah, so it's like either they don't do it or they do it in that way. It's, it's so painful. It's so painful because it makes you feel like they don't care enough about you to do the work. Right. Totally. And I love um, that there are different steps for whether people are showing up or not, you know, Mm-hmm. I think that's so important for us to realize that it's not all on us, right? Like we have to be really paying attention to how they're showing up too. I recently had an experience where like I, I had just gotten out of a friendship and I was having a lot of emotions come up around it. And I was like really leaning into, I read tarot and I was just like really leaning into working with my cards and um, my cards were telling me, I didn't ask a question. I was like, do you have a message for me? And basically the cards kept telling me like something about stuck energy, stuck energy, like not like something stagnant, not moving forward. And I was like, what is this? And then finally, I just like asked myself, well, where do I feel stuck energy? And I was like, oh, I am pissed. I am so fucking pissed about this. And I, and I was like, got it. Thank you guides. I am going to beat the fuck out of this pillow right now. I'm going to scream into this pillow and tell this pillow to fuck off and die. Right. Like I, I basically gave myself that, um, permission as like, you know, you talk about rage journaling. I think that's so good. Yeah. Just like ways to fucking let it out. Cause it is so it's infuriating. Right. Um, yeah, I love that. And, so, and, and that kind of brings me to this last question. Like, is there anything else you want to touch on about resentment that we haven't talked about? You kind of mentioned before we started recording something really great. So I want to give you an opportunity to chat about that. Yeah. I mean, I think you were even saying in the beginning of, of your talk was, you know, how resentment comes easy to like, I do think there's a, some people have a much easier time holding grudges mm. than other people, right? It is, and I, and I, and I just did some research on it just to think, yeah, what, you know, we call them resentful people, not to say that you're a resentful person, but like there is this quality and that one being, you know, childhood trauma being a very Im- important piece as to why this is kind of a go-to because like you told your story, which is 
when you had to vault your feelings as a child, when you have no space to be heard and and you know taken responsibility on their part for your feelings, it teaches you to hold it in. It teaches you to put that in your safe and keep doing what what pleases them. And so when we just, you know, and I think that's such a big thing about even as adults, adults who don't express emotions, right? Again, that fear of like, I don't want to tell them what I feel because I don't want them to abandon me. I don't want to tell them because I don't want to feel rejected. I don't, maybe even, I mean, with masculine energy, it's a little bit sometimes this like, I don't talk about feelings, like I'm too tough to talk about feelings. But what does that do? That just solidifies and creates this safe inside of yourself in which you do hold on to anger and resentment. This is, and it's just becomes easier and easier and easier to hold grudges because you're not ever addressing anything, right? Right. Like you're not ever releasing these anger moments. You're not learning how to give open the valve. You're not learning. And so it pops up in different ways. And so you know, I've seen people who kind of hold grudges just to get back at you. So if you kind of come at them and say, hey, that really hurt me. Well, you did this and this and this and this to hurt me last time. So therefore, I don't have to apologize to you is, you know, is a pattern of a personality. And so again, it's sometimes I mean, part of that story is this compassion story of like, you know, it's usually coming from hard childhoods coming from lots of trauma that creates this pattern. But I think I want to speak to it mostly for the purpose of, you know, mental wellness, which is the flexibility of the mind and the expression of emotions is the way towards healing and and mental health, right? Black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, these are cognitive distortions. This does not lead to mental health. When we cannot see the gray, when we cannot go, hey, their story is really difficult. And that's why they maybe did that, even though I can also hold my own self-worth in the same story, right? That's flexible thinking to be able to do both at the same time. But there are many people who have that difficulty of just saying, nope, they wronged me. That's it. They're done. There's nothing else. And so we can't move forward with kind of with that kind of rigid thinking. And so another suggestion for people who do find themselves having that pattern is using things like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy is also really helpful in terms of teaching your brain how to have more flexibility in terms of questioning sort of rigid thinking and going, is this really helping me? Is this really actually true? You know, am I making all these assumptions and finding that actually I've just made up a lot of stuff that doesn't actually sit well, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. this is why I'm stuck in my life. This is why I'm not healing. This is why I'm still feeling angry about something that happened so long ago, because I haven't done the work to express the emotions and to face the emotions and to create that flexibility of the mind to feel really mentally healthy. So that was the biggest thing I think. Yeah, that is so good. Yes. Oh my God. Netta. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on. I have absolutely loved this conversation. And if people want to contact you or get a hold of you, how how can they find you? Yeah. Um, so I have a private practice. My website is netalunatherapy.com. Um, I'm also on Psychology Today. So Netta Ehia. Um, I'm located in Berkeley. I do work mostly with um 
adults and teens. And yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. Awesome. Perfect. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party, or you can email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, hit me up. Always, always, always down to take on topics that other people are interested in. I just, I love that. So feel free if that comes up. Also, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It makes a huge difference. And it honestly means so much to me. Although, and I'll, I don't know why I mentioned this last time too. And I think the time for Spotify has a glitch at least on my end and some other people's end where you can't give a pod any more than four stars or anyway, you can't give my pod any more than four stars. I don't know why, but Apple is all good. Um, and like I said, check out the Facebook form. If you're interested, it's basically just going to be a place where we can all kind of talk about what's coming up for us and how we're working through it. Like what has worked for us, which is the whole point of these conversations, what is working for us. So check that out if you want. And also, if you'd like to support the pod, you can now. You can give a dollar a month, $5, $10, whatever. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash the Patrama Party and scroll down to the support button. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye.